welcome to the Special Strength Fitness Podcast, where we break down the psychology, fitness, and nutrition strategies you need to know to successfully transform your life. I'm your host, Imtiaz, and I am very excited about today's episode. Today, we're going to discuss a topic that I get asked about almost on a weekly, if not a daily basis from clients, from people on social media, from all over the world. Fasting, specifically intermittent fasting. I'm sure you guys have all heard of this term in the fitness uh, world in, in the, on television, on radio. Uh, all your celebrities do it, all the fitness coaches, trainers, and other athletes and clients do it. So today we're going to get right into what is intermittent fasting, or in general, what is fasting? What are some of the benefits of it, and how do we do it correctly? And we are going to explore this at a relatively deep level. However, I will preface this podcast by saying, you can go down the rabbit hole with this topic. There is so much that goes into fasting and its benefits and effects on the body. And I've studied this for many, many years, both you know, in, in university and personally as a, and professionally. And it's one of those topics that you can just keep going on and on and about. So let's set some ground rules. I'm going to get into some of the science, but I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds. So we're not going to go into chemical signaling and message, messaging in the body and whatnot. We'll talk generally about those concepts, but uh, if you want more information, if you want to get more in-depth with this, please get in touch with me. I'm happy to discuss it one-on-one, but in the sense uh, of, of this general topic today, I want to narrow it down so you guys can walk out of this with the main points. What is fasting? What are the different ways that we can do fasting? What are the benefits of fasting? And how do I make this part of my life and reap all the rewards? All right. Now, before we get started today, I just want to catch everybody up on what's been going on on my end. As uh, a lot of you should know by now, I am fasting in the month of Ramadan. So this is something that Muslims do every year. Uh, It's roughly a 30-day period where we'll be fasting from before sunrise till sunset. Uh, The way it works is we are supposed to wake up before the sun comes up and eat a small meal called a suhoor. And we fast essentially from the time the sun comes up all the way into sunset. Now, when I say fasting, I'm talking complete fast. No waters, no liquids, no food, nothing. You're fasting the whole day. And when the sun sets, that's the time when you can break your fast. And this time is called iftar. Uh, so we all sit down with our families, connect with each other, sit down and have iftar together. It's, it's quite a wonderful time of the year. For me personally, this is my favorite time of the year. Every single year, without fail, without question, I'm at my absolute best when I'm fasting. For many years, I've noticed anecdotally that when I used to train, uh, when I was much more active in, in training in combat sports or sports in general, my best performance would come out when I was fasting. And as the years went on and I started to learn the science about fasting and what it does and why does it work for us, it made sense. It made sense why I was at my absolute best when I'm fasting. So this is one of those things that I recommend every single person give a try, right? If you have have never fasted before and you've always wondered what it's like, I recommend giving it a try. So hopefully today when you walk out of this episode, you'll know exactly how to do it right, which type of fast to do, which makes sense for you, and read the benefits from it. All right. So... First of all, let's let's describe fasting. So what is fasting? When somebody says fasting, it's essentially saying you're abstaining from a thing, right? So fasting can be of different things. It can be fasting from food, fasting from liquids, fasting from maybe a bad habit you have. So some people who like to smoke, for example, maybe you could t- do a little fast from smoking, you know, abstain from smoking. Fasting can be from uh, habits such as watching too much television or wasting your time on XYZ thing that you know you shouldn't be wasting your time on. So that's essentially what fasting is. You're abstaining from something that you do on a regular basis or have the ability to do on a regular basis. Now, what what is intermittent fasting? Intermittent fasting is basically referring to the fact that there's a certain time uh, within a 24-hour window that you're eating and there's a certain time within that time frame that you're fasting. Generally speaking, uh, most people will go and do a 16-hour, 12-hour, 16-hour, maybe 24-hour, depending on what kind of fasting schedule they're on. But that's the kind of time frame for fasting, and the remaining time out of 24 hours, they'll use for eating. Now, I get a lot of questions about fasting. You know, MTS, what do you think about fasting? Is it good? How do I do it? So I want to clear up some of the misconceptions, okay? And let's start with zeroing down on nutrition today. Today, we'll talk about nutritional fasting and its side effects. Now, if you look back into the history of human beings, you'll realize that fasting has been a part of our history for, well, since the beginning of time. 
we've done it for religious reasons and we continue to. All the major religions of the world have some form of fasting in it, whether it's Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Judaism, you name it. They have fasting regulated for the followers of that religion in their holy books. Then you look at evolutionary uh, history. This is where it gets really fascinating because when you start to start human start to study, I should say, human evolution, you you realize there have been many times, not just in the distant past, but in the recent past, and even to this day, where human beings have had to fast just because of their environment. So let's go way back. Think back to you know caveman days when our ancestors had to live off the land. They had to go find food, whether it's hunting animals or growing their own crops, and if you think about that time and you start looking at the science of it as well, you realize that our ancestors in these time periods went through a lot of uh, time periods where there was no food available. Like today in North America or in the Western world, we are so used to having an overabundance of food. It's so abundant that we can just order from an app and it shows up in our door and we don't even have to walk for it anymore. So um, the fact that you know we're here today, it blinds us sometimes to what human evolution has been like and here's the kicker and this is where life experience pays off if you've spent any time living in any country besides you know north america or europe any continent besides north america and europe you're going to realize that in a lot of countries that are developing third world countries so to say fasting uh you know not by choice but fasting because of lack of resource or lack of access to resource is a real thing people go hungry every single day they get some meager scraps here and there. They might eat a little bit of food here, a little bit of food there, but that's it. They're fasting for the rest of it. It's not like fasting is a foreign concept uh, to us. It's it's happened in our past and it's happening now. So back to the evolutionary side of fasting. So historically, human beings have had many times, many famines, many droughts where food was not available and fasting became a de facto thing we did. If you look at human biology, if you look at your body, right, you ever wonder why we store body fat in certain areas, like why around the midsection, why behind the legs and the arms? Think of it in terms of biophysics, okay, biomechanics. Think of it in terms of biomechanics. If you stored a lot of body fat on your head, would that make any sense? No, it wouldn't, because you'd be top heavy. If you stored a lot of it in your lower body, so your legs are completely the, the major site of fast storage. Would that make sense? No, it wouldn't because then your motion would be compromised. And evolutionarily speaking, as a human animal, if you had to run away from danger or run towards something or move around, that would present quite a challenge for us. So you look at bi biomechanics and the way we're designed, the way the human body is designed, it only makes sense to keep that layer of fat as close to the mid-center as possible. It helps distribute that weight in a way where we can move around. If you want to look at an example of how we use this nowadays in an adaptive method, look at when trainers, coaches, athletes, people who train use weight vests in the gym. Are the weight vests tied to our head or our, our legs? No. Majority of the weight vests out there are chest or torso weight vests. They go hug your body in the middle of the body. And that's for the exact same reason. Weight distribution in this part of the body makes a lot of sense. So especially ladies here, if you've ever wondered why do you hold on to body fat on the midsection or behind the arm and behind the thighs and so on and so forth. And men also, the midsection is a big problem for men, uh, genetically speaking. That's sort of the main area we store the body fat. Uh, it's because this is where it makes sense from a biomechanical point of view, from a physics point of view. It's good for balance. This is the most workable place for us to store extra body fat. Now, why do we store body fat? Let's explore that. Well, like I said, evolutionarily speaking, we've had many instances of time where we've had to fast as, as a species. Uh, no choice, no food available. We, we didn't get the hunt there today. We couldn't find the plants uh, out in the forest, no fruits. Okay, so I guess we're not eating for the next you know 24 hours or 16 hours. So when that happens, right? If you don't have an extra resource of energy to draw from, you're going to die. You're not going to make it. You're not going to pass on your genetics. So genetics and evolutionary history favored human beings who were able to store a little bit of body fat. And this is interesting because when you look at uh, sexual selection and mate selection and the history of that in human beings, and you look at different cultures, even to this day, like if you go to Africa now, this, this, this is still a thing. You know, you go to some of these these tribes and villages who haven't exactly transformed into the third uh, into the Western world yet, and you start to realize, you know, their mate preference is not for skinny, thin, uh, you know, low body fat uh, type women. So when men are selecting a mate, they're not looking for the the skinny women. 
they're actually looking for women who carry body fat, certain signs, you know, body fat uh, carried around, around the butt, right? Just above the butt and around the butt, so so big butt. Um, they're carrying a lot more general body fat. Even for the opposite way, when women are selecting for males, uh, males typically who've had a little bit of body fat, you know, it's, it's an indicator that, hey, they have resources, they're able to provide, they have enough food, and they're able to carry that extra body weight. So, you know, this is something we don't get exposed to in terms of our thought process in the Western world. But when you go outside of your frame of reference, of your frame of comfort, and you go explore the world, you start to realize, wow, like human beings are actually selecting their mates and propagating those genetics forward based on you know, who's able to hold on to these extra resources? Who's going to be able to provide for the next generation? Who's showing me indications that, hey, he's got a little bit of body fat on. He's probably pretty well off. He's probably got access to resources. So, you know, let me let me pick him as a mate. So you look at all these different aspects of, of our history and you start to realize that, hey, this is an indicator that we have as a species gone through many cycles of fasting, right? I talk about the body fat because it's a direct indicator that, you're going to go through periods of, you know, no food, lack of food. So you need to have that backup energy source to survive and pass on your genetics. Now, let's get into what is fasting. So you guys understand where we come from. Why do human beings, uh, you know, have fasting throughout their history, throughout their religious texts? Why is it such a prevalent practice around the world? Now you understand that. Now let's get into what is fasting. Like I said, fasting is basically abstaining from something. And we're going to talk about nutritional fasting today. Now, the key word that I want to discuss here is intermittent fasting. This is the one that we're most familiar with because of marketing and the media. And essentially, intermittent fasting means you eat for a small period of time and you fast for the remainder of the time. I'm going to use a 24-hour time block here as a reference point. Now, what's the difference between intermittent fasting and something like Ramadan where, you know, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm in Ramadan right now and I'm fasting. What's the difference? Well, folks, there is none. <laughs> there really is none. Uh, there, there are a couple of minutiae and m minor details that we need to go over. But honestly, when you fast during Ramadan, it's the same thing as intermittent fasting. The concept is the same. You have a small window of time between which you eat, which is basically from sunset till sunrise. And of course, part of that time goes in sleeping, right? You're sleeping for at least half that time, if, if a little bit less or more. So you have to keep in mind that you're, you have a very short eating window. This is essentially time-restricted feeding or time-restricted eating is another word for uh, intermittent fasting. Uh, in, intermittent fasting is the same as Ramadan, right? The concept is the same. So I'm just going to say intermittent fasting because that's what we're used to for the most part. Now, what are the benefits of intermittent fasting? This is where we can get very, very technical and we can just keep going down the rabbit hole, but I'm going to stay with the big topics here. Again, feel free to contact me if you want to go over details. Let's start with health benefits. Now, there are some amazing health benefits to fasting. This is why this habit, this practice has persisted throughout generations, throughout the ages. It's super beneficial for us. Let's go over a few of the major ones. Okay. Number one, it promotes blood sugar control by reducing insulin resistance. This is very important, guys, because insulin resistance and diabetes is a big, big, big issue in the modern world today. My family alone, you know, in, in recent years, my parents' generations, both my relatives and my parents, have developed diabetes because of, you know, lifestyle choices and, and, and not having the right nutritional habits down. And also, obviously, there's a genetic factor here because when so many people within a certain family line start developing something like diabetes, you know that it's not just a nurture thing. It's a nature thing as well. Your genetics do define some of these diseases we can catch. So, uh, this is something that's very near and dear to my heart now because I recognized, okay, parents have diabetes. That means I am at a higher risk of diabetes. So I have to change the way I eat. Just because I can do some things a certain way, it doesn't mean I can do them for the long term. Because if I do that, then I may end up getting diabetes again, right, myself. So number one, promotes the blood sugar control. Uh, now, insulin resistance, okay? So what is insulin? Let's, let's define that. Insulin is a compound in your body that gets released when you eat. So when you eat food, uh, I'm going to simplify this. Basically, your food gets broken down. And one of the things that you get out of food from carbohydrates is, is glucose. The breakdown of carbohydrates is glucose. When that hits your blood, your pancreas releases insulin. Now, insulin is a compound that essentially is a transporter compound. One of its functions is as a transporter. It'll take the glucose and shuttle it into your cells. Now, what happens when there's an excess of glucose in your bloodstream, right? So your cells have gotten all the glucose they can and, and they've stored it away. Now, those are full. 
Well, insulin says, okay, let's go take you to the liver. Let's take this excess glucose to the liver to be stored and, and also, you know, deposit into fat cells. So what happens in diabetes is your insulin doesn't function as well, right? In type 2 diabetes, your insulin doesn't do such such a great job. You're making insulin, but it's just not working very well. Your system's uh, out of sync or out of balance, so to say. And when that does happen, what do you end up doing, right? That high glucose, a high sugar, the high blood sugar is a, is a very uh, terrible thing for your body. It's not very good for you. You have energy swings. I'm sure after a big meal, you guys have felt it, right? Have a huge meal and you feel that the tiredness, right? It's not good for you. Okay. Uh, and obviously it leads to diabetes, which leads to a whole host of other issues. So when you start fasting, one of the things you do is you reduce the insulin resistance. Okay. And there's many reasons why this happens. Let's not get into the weeds here. However, uh, this is directly impacted by fasting because when you're fasting, you're not spiking your insulin levels as high, i.e. you're not putting in as much food throughout the day as you usually do. So your body essentially gets a little bit of a break from that excess of glucose coming in and excess of food coming in, and it gets a chance to regulate that insulin to glucose ratio a little bit better and work with your, your insulin levels to get the glucose where it needs to go, okay? And obviously, if you're not smashing yourself with food the entire day, you're also most likely not eating as many calories, i.e. not overdoing your intake, i.e. not storing body fat. So, so this is one of those things where it has so many benefits right, right off the bat, right, with insulin resistance. And essentially, when you decrease your insulin resistance, you're increasing the body's sensitivity to insulin, right? So it really allows you to transport the glucose from your bloodstream to your cells a lot more efficiently. Okay, number two, it promotes better health by fighting inflammation. And this is one of those things that you don't really understand till you go through the process, right? So I'll tell you my own story. When I start fasting, it takes me roughly two, depending, maybe three days to get sort of into a zone, right? The first two days are kind of terrible. First day is no problem. Second day, you start feeling a third day. It's like, oh my God, this is miserable. But then it passes. And by the end of the third day, I'm like super good. Once you've adapted to fasting, right? Once you do it for long enough and you adapt to fasting a little bit, what you start to realize is you're not as swollen, you're not as uh, puffy ex uh, from an external point of view, but also uh, things that might might have hurt before don't hurt the same anymore, right? You don't you don't swell up as much. So when I used to play sports and uh, I'd get uh, small injuries here and there, that's just part of being an athlete. I noticed that when I'm fasting, it, it I recover better, I heal better. I'm not exactly uh, swollen from injuries for a longer time. Uh, in fact, I was. I was injured, sure, but then I recover really quickly and the swelling goes on rather quickly. So fasting is one of those things, again, the general concept here is it gives you a break. It gives your body a break and lets it lets, lets the body recover and reset its, its system. So one of those things being the inflammation system that is critical for recovery and healing, right? Don't get me wrong, inflammation is not all bad. You need inflammation, right? That's what signals the body. You send all the good compounds and resources to that area of injury, to that area that's that's inflamed and work on it. So when you start fasting, you reduce chronic inflammation, right? And that's an amazing thing for your body. It's good to give your body a little bit of a break. Think of it like this. When you go to work, your nine to five job, whatever it happens to be, what if you did that job 24 hours a day, seven days a week without stop for years on end? Would you burn out? Would you possibly need a little bit of a break? I think so. Your body's the exact same. It works 24-7 behind the scenes, no questions, but it does complain once in a while. It gives you a bit of information. It gives you some signals that, hey, you should probably take a break, right? You, you guys know the signs. So fasting is, is like giving it that break, saying, okay, here, take a day off, take a couple of days off, take a weekend off. You've been working for 20, 30, 40, 50 years here. Take, take a day off. It's super important to do that. And studies have found that fasting can decrease several markers of inflammation, and it actually might be helpful in treating conditions, uh, inflammatory conditions such as multiple sclerosis. So it's one of those things, guys, that medically as well, you know, medically, there are excellent benefits of fasting when it comes to inflammation. Um, another benefit is it can also enhance your heart health by improving the blood pressure cholesterol levels, and, and fats in your blood. So basically, the, the fatty acids in your blood, your cholesterol, your blood pressure, all of these are regulated because when you're, first of all, again, coming back to the major concept, when you're not smashing food into your body and not overdoing the calories and not, not staying in an inflammated mode all the time, well, 
your body gets to reset and do what it does best, survive and become an efficient survival machine and heal. It starts to heal. One of the things that studies have found that when you start fasting, your your stem cell, the rate, the rate of stem cell generation is actually a lot better than when you're just normally going about your day. So stem cells are basically cells that don't have a programming as of yet. They haven't become heart cells or muscle cells or, 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 or other cells in the body. Stem cells are able to transform into other cells depending on what's needed. So having more stem cells in your system ready to go means that you're able to heal a lot of things in your body that don't necessarily show up, um, you know, visually for us, but are are in dire need of fixing. So for example, let's say that you have some dead tissue in your heart, right? Some of your heart cells have died. And and if you guys don't know the biology, your cells in your body always die and are regenerate, and new cells are generated, right? They're replaced by new cells. So let's say that you've got some dead cells of the heart or dead cells in another part of the body, right? If you leave them there for a long time and they don't get taken away and new cells don't regenerate properly in their place, this can cause a lot of problems, including cancer down the line, right? It's not good for your body to have necrotic tissue in them. So let's say you have these dead cells in the heart. When you start fasting, it gives your body the ability to say, okay, let's clear that out, okay? Again, let's clear those dead cells out. Let's get rid of them. Let's get the stem cells going. Let's let's make some more heart cells. And it, it helps your body heal and recover. And again, this ties in with the inflammation as well, right? When you have reduced inflammation, because too much inflammation is bad, right? Not enough is bad and too much is bad. So when your inflammation is reduced, then your body has a chance to get to some, some areas and work on them and get them to heal and recover. Cholesterol being another uh, important thing that we look for, right? Nowadays, we, we suffer from high cholesterol because of our lifestyle and our, and our diets. Well, heart disease is considered the leading cause of death around the world. And one of the big components of heart disease is higher cholesterol, right? Having higher cholesterol blocks off your blood vessels to name one of the effects it has. And it's, it's just not great for you. Do you need cholesterol? Yes, you do. You need cholesterol uh, in your life, in your body to function. However, having too much of it, like anything else, too much of something is not good. It's going to lead to bad problems. So when you fast, again, under medical supervision, they did these studies and they found that when people were fasting for three weeks, <clears throat> excuse me, when people were fasting for three weeks, um, under medical supervision, they found that there was a significant decrease in blood pressure as well as total cholesterol, okay? So this is a good thing, especially considering the context of our North American diet. Again, I refer to the North American diet, but a lot of the world eats like this, right? The, the abundance of food in most developed nations is so much so that, you know, we're gravitating towards the high cholesterol foods and, uh, and, and the foods that are more likely to give us such a surplus of cholesterol in our system that our system gets overwhelmed, right? This is one of those things that, again, is near and dear to my heart because now my parents' generations and my relatives of that, of that age category uh, and my in-laws of that age category, they're starting to see these effects of, of lifetime of nutritional uh, habits that were not very good for them. They're starting to see these effects in high cholesterol, heart disease, diabetes. They're, they're starting to see all these things. So this is one, another one of these things that's so near and dear to my heart. And I, and I implore you guys, if you're having some issues with cholesterol, if you're having some issues with diabetes, fasting might be something that can benefit you. Give that a try. Look into the research. Give that a try. Uh, and it's one of the things that's natural for your body. Our bodies are literally designed to go through periods of fasting, and our body knows what to do when the pressure of constant incoming calories is not there. It knows how to recover. You just have to let it recover. Another great benefit is that it boosts brain function, and it can actually prevent or help prevent Neuro neurodegenerative disorders. So this is a great one, right? I mean, research is still ongoing, but animal studies, at least, they're, they're showing that fasting may actually protect against and improve the outcome of conditions like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's. So, you know, the, the, the theology guy in me, the guy who likes to, you know, sit here and think about theories and all these things about the world, you know, I, I sit back and I think, wow, that's amazing, you know? There's a reason that fasting is prescribed across all major religions of the world, right? If you're religious, then you look at any of the major religions and fasting is there in one form or another. So when you see something like that across the major religions of the world, you start to understand like, hey, like, why is that? You ask that question. Why are these major religions, all of them saying, do this thing? And then you start seeing the scientific research nowadays, the objective scientific research, and you start to understand that, hey, maybe there is something to that, right? If it can help prevent so many lifestyle diseases, so many things down the line, fasting on a regular basis might be beneficial, right? I'm not saying that makes 
one religion valid and the other valid. I'm not saying that, that's a different topic. What I'm saying is when you start to see a pattern like that across major uh, things in the world, like religion, right? Might be worth investigating. This is this is how you can stay inquisitive, guys. Just as a side note, if you want to stay inquisitive and discover things about life and connections across different things, start looking at the things that are common in between them, right? Look at the things that are common and see what beneficial knowledge you can gain out of it. I've learned so much by doing that. I've looked at different theologies, uh, you know, even different political spectrums, right? Looking at the psychology of people across different p political uh, affiliations and spectrums, and I've learned so much about some of the universal truths, if you will. And fasting is definitely one of them. Now, uh, tying the, the brain function, the improvement in brain function to what I talked about earlier, uh, animal studies, again, are showing that fasting can actually improve brain function and increase nerve cell synthesis and, and protect against these uh, conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, right? So again, it, has, it keeps coming back to letting your body recover and heal and fasting, it's, it seems to be a signal for the body to say, all right, let's go into full recovery mode as much as we can. Now, there's a guy on YouTube, uh, Dr. Eric Burke. Again, I don't agree with every single thing he puts out there because again, research changes and and, and information is, you know, it, it's always changing. However, uh, he has some great videos on fasting. So if you guys go to YouTube and look up Dr. Eric Berg, E-R-I-C, B-E-R-G, uh, he's got some great videos on fasting, which I think are very informative. So if you guys haven't checked those out, please do. Uh, he covers them in a nice visual presentation, which is awesome. It uh, goes more in depth into the actual chemicals and signaling, signaling pathways. All right, now the big one. Fasting helps you lose weight by limiting your calorie intake and, here it is, boosting metabolism, okay? Now, I'm going to clarify that term, boosting metabolism, in just a second, but it helps you in losing weight. It's pretty straightforward. When you only restrict yourself to eating, say, on an eight-hour time period, okay? You're only eating for eight hours of the day, you're sleeping for another eight, and then you're fasting for the other, other bit that's left. Well, generally speaking, generally, most people will consume less food in, a, in that short amount of time. So you start limiting your calorie intake, well, there you go. There's the big, big piece of the weight loss equation right there, right? Calorie deficit, easy as pie. Now, when I said boosting metabolism, what I mean is it helps to increase, it helps to uh, regulate the, the up... Uh, the processing and, and pushes up the processing of certain hormones and, and, and compounds in your body, which actually help enhance weight loss. And this is where, again, I don't want to get too much into the science because uh, the purpose of the, this podcast is for you to take an actionable few points and actually execute on them, actually use them in your life. So if you guys want to see those details, please send me a message or you can check out YouTube. You know, Dr. Eric Berg, like I said, is, is a pretty good resource for that. And there's tons of other people who talk about the details. There's information on the web as well, but I'm happy to discuss that one-on-one. -on -one. But what you need to understand is, again, when you start fasting, the big thing is you're starting to restrict calories, generally speaking. And on top of that, you're letting your body upregulate these mechanisms, these compounds that help you in trimming the extra fat off of your body, fixing some processes within your body. So managing your weight, managing your diet becomes a lot easier than when you're just eating regularly day to day. And one of these misconceptions I want to clear up right now is when you fast, you lose muscle tissue. That's actually not the case. Um, recent studies have shown that the rate of muscle loss is actually cut down fairly significantly a couple of days into fasting. So if you start fasting regularly, initially there's a spike in muscle loss, right? Because the body's trying to hold on to that same level of calorie intake. But what ends up happening in a couple of days is your body shuts down protein breakdown. It starts to go into a conservation mode when it comes to your muscles. So for everybody out there who's trying to achieve optimal muscle mass and muscle condition and muscle tone, don't worry, fasting's not gonna hurt you. Having said that, if you're expecting to bulk up and put on muscle while you're fasting, it's going to require a significant amount of planning with your nutrition and rigorously sticking with it. Because again, when you're fasting, the general goal that your body usually has is to rest and regenerate and heal. It's not looking at becoming Mr. Olympia, right? However, if that is your goal, it can be done, but you have to nail your nutrition pre and post fasting. 100% of the time, as much as possible, right? It's super, super critical. Now, one of the big things for people in the fitness industry uh, that helps us when we're fasting is it actually increases your growth hormone secretion, which if you guys know anything about growth hormone, it, it's what helps us grow. It's one of those big signaling uh, chemicals, that um, compounds that helps us grow. And it's vital for growth. 
metabolism, weight loss, and muscle strength. It's one of those things where growth hormone equals usually growth. Now, you might see celebrities uh, in the news who get caught using growth hormones or athletes who get caught using growth hormones, right? It's illegal in competition because it gives you an unfair advantage. Growth hormone is one of those things. It, it, it naturally, fasting naturally increases the human growth hormone. And that's amazing, right? The more growth hormone you have, at least to within limits, the better for you, right? It helps you lose weight, get, get some muscle strength, right? Grow in all the right places in the right way. So if you guys are, you know, especially for people who are really serious about training, you know, or who train on a regular basis, if you guys are ever thinking about taking steroids and growth hormones uh, and, you know, going that way, just fast. It's just better for you, right? Don't take that extra stuff. That's not good for you long-term. Just fast. Your body will do what it's going to do, okay? There's a small study. Um, and again, this study was a small study, so I'm saying it uh, now because, you know, it, it only involved like nine participants. But they found that, you know, just fasting for two days uh, for these nine men, it led to a five-fold increase in their HGH production, so human growth hormone production rate, which is amazing, right? I mean, that's just two days. But yes, when you fast, growth hormone goes up. It's excellent for you. It's a very important protein hormone, right? And it's its role in weight loss and muscle strength and metabolism and growth cannot be understated. So please, guys, if you are thinking of taking external quote-unquote supplements to help you with your physique and training, just fast instead. It's safer for you. It's better for you. And you're not going to do long-term damage to yourself, okay? And the, the final one that I want to talk about is fasting actually delays aging and extends your longevity. This is something that I've been looking into more and more as I age because I realize, you know, being an athletic stud is not always going to be my goal. And so as I became a dad and life started to move on, my goal started transforming into how do I stay active and healthy for, for the long term? I want to be, I want to, you know, get to 60, 70, 80, 90, however long I'm meant to live on this earth, wherever my end state is, I want to be able to do sprints and marathons and, and weightlifting and deadlifting and all of that stuff into my 80s, into my 90s. People do it all the time. I've seen people do it all the time. I, I bring the story back of my, one of my first clients, Marion, who was like 80-something when I first trained her. And, and it's, it's like, okay, like she crushed even younger people who were athletes. Like that's what I want, that longevity, the able to have a good, healthy, happy, productive life for the rest of my life, not just in my 20s and then I'm broken and fat and overweight for the rest of my life. That's not what I want. So, so fasting is one of those things that can help delay aging and extend longevity. Right. Again, a lot of the stuff is in animal studies, but if you look at human history, you can see the benefits of fasting. Now, I'm not saying if you fast, you're going to live till 150 years old. I can't guarantee that. But I can tell you that at least in animal studies, they found that fasting delays the aging process. It, it, it lets them live a little bit longer. Right. But definitely human research in this is still lacking and there needs to be a lot more uh, insight into how it affects human beings and in what capacities. Right. But for sure, anecdotally, I know for a fact when I'm fasting, I seem to stop aging. And I'm not saying I, I know exactly how much I'm aging by, but this is one of those things where you just know, right? And, and I'm my, my thought on it, based on the science that I know, is it ties into the inflammation. It ties into these regenerative properties of fasting. When you start regenerating, you're essentially getting some of those abilities back that you had when you were younger. But as you age, they start to go and they start to not work so well. So for example, healing, right? One of the things that happens as you get older is you take a longer time to heal. This is why when seniors fall down, it's a big deal because it takes them a long time to heal, right? That's why we're so careful with seniors and say, please be careful, move slowly. Well, when you're fasting, you start regenerating faster. So immediately you start feeling like, oh, that cut, that paper cut healed in like two days instead of 10 days. Wow, right? It's one of those things where you just know, you can feel it. And, I, and I'm pretty sure it has to do with the fact that there's these regenerative effects of fasting, but we need to do a lot more studies to define them. In the scientific way, we need to define them and understand exactly how the anti-aging properties or outcomes of fasting take place in the human body and how long they are there for and to what capacity they're there for. All right, guys. So, I mean, there's so many other benefits to fasting. I could go on and on, but I mean, those are some, you know, good six to seven top benefits of fasting. Okay. And now let's get into, you know, how do we fast? Okay. So MTS, I'm sold. I want to fast. I, I love this concept. There's so many benefits. There's nothing to lose. Well, hold on your horses there. Hold on a second. Let's talk about a few, just a few 
mental benefits. We talked about the health benefits. What about the mental benefits? You guys know we're all about the, the nutrition, the training, but also the psychology here, because unless you tie in your psychology and mindset to what you're trying to do, you're not going to find success. Well, fasting is fascinatingly effective for your mental health. Okay, Fascinatingly effective. When you don't have all that extra calorie coming in, generally, you are not concerned with much else other than when am I going to eat? When am I going to drink? And what that does is gives you a kind of focus. It's, it's a weird kind of focus that is, it's hard to define. It's hard to describe it until you go through it. But there's clarity. And to preface something I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes, this also has to do with ketone bodies. You guys must have heard about ketones from the keto diet and whatnot. We'll get to that in a second. But there's a mental clarity. There's a simple focus that, okay, I just need to get to that point in the day when I can even drink. So you start to cut out all the stuff that's distracting, that zaps your energy. Toxic relationships, maybe you don't call that person and, and get into it with them. You know, wasting your time on a, on, a, on a couch watching shows all day, maybe you don't do that. Maybe you go party all night, maybe you don't party tonight because, you know, you're fasting today and you're going to be a little tired or you're going to fast tomorrow, so you need to conserve some energy. You make certain decisions that help you get really zoned in and focused. And of course, a big part of the mental clarity uh, has to do with ketones and ketone bodies, which we'll get to. And on top of these mental benefits, there's also the habit building and self-control of impulses that comes through. When you're fasting, at least on the nutritional side of it, what you're doing is voluntarily abstaining from something that you can do if you choose to. You guys can all choose to go and eat or drink anytime you want. But when you're fasting, you're choosing to abstain from that. That's a choice. When you make a choice like that, it's a powerful signal. It's a powerful moment where you're telling yourself, hey, I am in control of my life. The food or the addiction to pop or carbs or fats or sweet stuff or whatever your addiction to food is or emotional connection to food is or emotional reliance on food is, that is not in control. That's one of the most beautiful things about fasting, guys. It gives you control. It gives you back that control to say, hey, I'm in charge here. Yes, this is kind of miserable. Without food and water, it kind of feels eh, terrible. However, I'm in control. And when you do that for a few days and you do it repetitively year and year and year over years, you start to realize, you know, wow, like I've always been in control. For some reason, I just let it go because it's easier to not be in control than eat whatever we want. And that's the root cause of us all being unhealthy in this day and age, right? Being overweight, unhealthy, building up lifestyle diseases because we just stop controlling things we should control, right? There is no excuse for that. And fasting teaches you that, that, hey, if I can voluntarily fast for 12 to 16 to 18 hours, I can do that when, you know, I'm not in a fasting state. I'm not in a fasting mood. I can make that choice of, hey, maybe I don't have the pop and the chips. Maybe I have, you know, potatoes instead, right? You can make those, those substitution choices and, and know that, yes, I have the willpower. I have the ability to do this. Some of the other things that happen is planning. You start to plan your day better. You start to plan your day and make sure that by the time it's time to eat, you're good to go. Food has been prepped. It's good to go. You're going to sit down, relax, eat, enjoy the meal, become more aware of the foods you're eating. That's one of the strategies that I use with my nutrition clients all the time. When people come to me for nutrition coaching, that's one of the strategies we do. We slow down our eating. We, we eat mindfully, we chew, we, we, we chew for a longer time, let the food sit in our mouth, let the flavor molecules hit the olfactory system up in our nose, let our body experience the food like we're supposed to, and truly eat. Eating is not just filling your stomach. Eating is a whole process. If you study the science of it, you know, flavor molecules go up to your nose and, and that triggers your body and that it gives you the sense of flavor on your tongue. Molecules go through your tongue and lets you know if it's sweet or salty or sour. There's, there's such a, it's such a process, right? Your saliva comes out, it starts digesting right in your mouth. There's so many things that happen. But in this day and age, we eat with just our eyes, right? Oddly enough, we only eat with our eyes. We see food, we eat it. Awesome. Stomach's full. Well, let's bring it back. Let's scale it back. Fasting helps us do that. It slows down that process and says, be mindful of what you eat. Now, of course, people do take it to the other extreme where, you know, they, they go crazy when they're breaking their fast. They break, they break their fast with all the fried foods and, and crazy amounts of carbs and, and all of that. And we're going to discuss that. But fasting helps you guys become a lot more aware of exactly what you're doing, become a lot more in control of your life, and not just let life take you wherever it wants. 
Okay, awesome. So we, we've talked about a lot of key benefits. Now let's talk about how to fast. I'm going to break it down to systems because as you know, I'm a huge fan of systems. If you have the right systems in place, you are looking at success. So first of all, before fasting, your pre-fast system, you need to take care of a few key elements here. Number one, okay, number one in this is your water intake. My personal system that I've used for years and years and years, I fasted for, I don't know how many years now, but I always make sure I do this as much as I can. I'm going to take in at least two liters of water, if not more, throughout my eating period. So if I know that tomorrow I'm fasting, and I've decided at this moment that tomorrow I'm going to fast, I'm going to start drinking water from now. And I'm going to keep drinking water. And the reason is I want to make sure I'm hydrated enough. So when I go into the fasting period, I don't feel the dehydration because dehydration is one of those things that can completely cripple your day. It can really affect you negatively. And I try to avoid dehydration as much as possible. So pre-fasting rituals and systems, I'm slamming water, a lot of it. When it comes to food, I'm prepping and planning my food, especially that meal before I start my fast, right? In Ramadan, it's it's called suhoor. We wake up at, you know, the dark of the night, we eat, sunrise happens, we stop eating and drinking, good to go. So for suhoor, I'm a huge fan of having things like oatmeal, having things like a little bit of rice, having things like milk. So to break down the science of this, I have a carbohydrate portion, right? Because I know I want to have a little bit of carbs to keep me going. I tend not to have too many vegetables pre-fasting because vegetables are one of those things that can fill you up rather quickly without giving you some caloric input. And my goal is to have some calories going in so that for the first little bit of the fast, for the first few hours at least, I don't feel the need to eat. I don't let that hunger kick in because hunger is one of those things that can make or break most people during the day. And I wanna give myself the best chance possible to have the best day possible. So let's have a little bit of carbs. Along with that carb, absolutely I make sure I have good sources of protein. So milk, eggs, um, cheese, meats, plant-based proteins as well sometimes, rarely, but sometimes. But the key here is I almost always include a glass of milk. Now I use milk, you guys can use supplements if you want, you guys can do other sources of this protein. But I do milk specifically because milk has this protein called casein, right? There's whey protein and casein. Milk has both, but it has quite a bit of casein in it. Now, casein is a longer chain protein, right? This this protein molecule is a longer, more complicated chain. So when you take whey protein into your body, it, it's broken down rather quickly and utilized. But when you take casein into your body, it takes a little bit of time for the body to break it down into its components before it can use it. So Casein is one of those things when you have it, it essentially sustains you for a longer period of time. So that's why I almost always will include a milk with my pre-fast meal, or in in this this case, suhoor. Because during suhoor and this pre-fast meal, having that milk, man, I'm good to go for like the next six to almost eight hours. Like I'm good to go. No hunger pangs, uh, no nothing. That casein is working in my system and in my intestines breaking down. And I just feel good. Right? I feel energetic, I feel fresh, I don't feel the quote-unquote negative effects of fasting, which is the lethargy sometimes you get, you get really tired. I don't get that if I have my casein. Now, you guys can get casein um, in you know your supplement store or, or whatnot. There's actually casein powder you can do. So if you don't do milk, you can get casein in a supplemental form. I absolutely recommend it, right? So carbohydrates, proteins. When it comes to fats, I typically will add a little bit of liquid fats or something like olive oil. I'll just add it into my food as I'm eating it. Not too much of it. Um, One of the things that fats do is they slow down the digestive process, right? And they also give you a lot of energy, right? A small amount of fat will give you a lot of energy. Um, I try to control that a little bit uh, pre-fasting just because I'm already taking carbohydrates. I'm already taking casein. I'm already taking things that are going to take a little bit of time to digest. So I don't need to slow that down any further. And I I found personal preference having too much uh, of fats before fasting just makes me feel, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it, but it just doesn't feel great. Uh, Everything's sluggish and slower. So I'm not a big fan of too much fats, but I I definitely add a little bit of avocado or olive oil, just a little hint of it and good to go. Now, again, almost always before the fasting starts, I'm drinking a liter within like an hour and a half to two hours before the fasting starts, I'm drinking a liter of water, if not more. I'm, I'm pounding this water because water is going to be the key 
It's the key to making sure you feel at your absolute best, okay? And and don't go through that quote-unquote negative side effects of fasting, okay? So then you start your fast. You go through your fast. Now, typically for me, uh, this year at least, I, I believe, uh, look at the time chart here, uh, fasting is roughly 12 to 14 hours. Now, of course, the days are getting larger and fasting in the summer is always harder than in the winter for me because sunrise to sunset is longer in the summer. But, you know, like I appreciate the longer fasts because it just really pushes me to be so much better. It pushes me to maintain my my, my discipline and, and not break my fast and eat or drink. So I, I appreciate the challenge. After fasting, the post-fast meal, this is critical. Most people get this wrong. Most people make the mistakes here. This is the place where the traps are, so you got to watch out for them. Okay, number one, fried foods. Please, guys, for the love of God, stop overdoing the fried foods during the post-fasting meal. Or in my case, I call it iftar, right? Stop messing your iftar. Seriously, the fried foods are not doing you any good. Keep it simple, okay? Here's a simple strategy for you. When you are breaking your fast, break your fast with a super small meal. If you want a reference point, take a bowl in your hand, and that's all the food you're going to eat, okay? A nice medium-sized or a small bowl, and that's it. Break your fast with that. Give yourself an hour to two hours and then have your dinner. What people do is the opposite. When they break their fast, they go ham. They go absolute bananas. The table is spread like it's ready for a 20 people, 20 guest party. And you've got all kinds of desserts, sugary stuff, fried foods. And I'm not saying don't enjoy that. Maybe once in a while, once every few days. Sure, have at it, right? However, stop doing that as a regular thing. It's not good for you. When you eat that much food all of a sudden, okay, your your body responds by by realizing, oh, my my uh, my calorie intake is super high. The glucose coming into my bloodstream is super high. Let's pump out insulin. And one of the things that leads to insulin resistance, okay, is the fact that you have these huge spikes in your in your blood sugar levels, right? Huge spikes. So instead of having a higher glycemic index-based foods, uh, you know, like like breads and all these other things that spike your insulin so high, and especially when you overdo the calories at that time, have a small meal, have a small bowl. Uh, we typically break our fast with like water, a few dates, and maybe like a small, you know, salad with a few, little bit of carbs or something along that line, just something small, just to break the fast. And then an hour to two later, that's when we have our dinner. That's when we have the bigger meal right? Now, I say we in terms of my family, because it's taken many years for me and my wife to establish that practice in our home. Culturally, you know, not the case. Culturally, it's it's the opposite, right? In my in my ancestral culture, if you will, in my in my home country's culture, it's, it's almost like customary. It's like you must have this massive fried food bonanza. And it, it, they don't see the effects of this immediately, but 10, 20, 30 years later, they start to realize, oh man, like I'm, I'm, I'm diabetic now, or I've got this and that. Well, yeah, of course, you just fasted for 12 to 16 hours to 18 hours, and then all of a sudden you spike your insulin so hard. And what you realize is when you do that, you start to feel the itis, right? You get super tired, you get super lethargic, and that, that's one of those signals that, hey, you've kind of overdone it a little bit here. There was a lack of balance. So it's super, super important that post-fast, you st- you start with a small carbohydrate, protein, uh, maybe a little bit of fiber, tons of water, small meal like that, and then have the dinner afterwards. Okay. What do you do in terms of calorie balance? Well, in terms of calorie balance, you need to plan this out a little bit. If you have a physique or health goal while you're fasting, okay, then I strongly recommend trying to stick to the calories you were having before you started fasting and planning that out. So in your eating window, you still eat a, eat the same amount of calories. If your goal is to lose a little bit of body fat or body weight, it's a little bit harder to do, but you can do it if you start going into a calorie deficit in that eating window. Having said this, be aware that if you start doing calorie deficit in that eating window, unless you're mentally strong, unless you've built up the reps and the mental reps of being able to go through adversity like fasting and still go into a calorie deficit, which is another form of adversity, I don't recommend it. Okay, most people cannot do it. And what they do is when they break from that pattern, they go crazy. They go to the fried foods, the excess carbs, the excess calories, etc. So unless you know yourself and you know that I am able to do this, just, just don't worry about it. Eat at maintenance level. 
or at least fix the types of foods you're eating. Work on the habits first. The calories and stuff will come, but work on the habits, okay? Now, one of the things that I do, or I've started to do this year at least in a big way, is when I'm fasting, I start to get into a bit of a keto diet, okay? And this is why. When you're fasting, uh, in my case, let's say I'm fasting for 18 hours, I'm sleeping for seven to eight hours, and the rest of the time is my eating window. So my eating window, if I look at it right now, you know, sunset at this point in time is roughly about 8.15. And I go to sleep around, say, 12 o'clock. So that gives me four, some days five to six. So four to six hours is my eating window. It's not a lot of time. If I have my post-fast meal, right, I break my fast with a small meal, and then I wait an hour or two, then I have the big dinner. Well, then I only have like an hour and a half to two hours max before, you know, I hit the bed, if I do. So how do I reconcile that? with the calories I need to take in? Well, a simple solution, an elegant solution here is the keto diet. To generalize here, the keto diet is essentially a diet where you have very little to almost no carbs. You're higher, much higher in fats. And depending on which variety or version of the keto diet you're going into, you have either a moderate to high level of protein or a moderate to low level of protein, but not quite as low as the carbs. Like carbs can be as low as like 20% or 10% or something very small. So that's a general idea of what the keto diet is, right? And the idea behind the keto diet is that in your body, you have these uh, compounds called ketones, ketone bodies, right? And ketones are one of those compounds that your brain can actually use for energy. Your brain uses, you know, glucose from carbohydrates, but it also uses ketones. And it actually does really well on ketones. That's pretty good. Um, some say it does better on ketones, which is you know, awesome. However, to go into a, a mode that's called ketosis, right? Your body has to be taught that, hey, start taking energy from fat instead of carbs because our first preference tends to be carbohydrates. As we are human beings, we are carb adapted. We are adapted to derive energy first from carbohydrates. If that's not available, then we usually start breaking down some proteins to get some amino acids and energies. And then fat is sort of like the last thing we go into. However, if you train your body by doing a keto-based diet and providing it with an excess of fat, fat sources, your body starts to learn and it can be trained to recognize fat as the primary energy source. And when you do that and it becomes keto-adapted, it will start to take fat and break it down. Now, why do people like the keto diet? Because when you can get into a mode of ketosis, when you're in ketosis, your body then starts recognizing the stored body fat that you have as a source of energy. And can anybody guess what the benefit of that is, right? If your goal is fat loss, what better way than for your body to just feed off of the body fat naturally, right? It takes a little bit of time to get into ketosis, right? And most people don't know the signs and symptoms of, hey, am I in ketosis? One of the, one of the easiest ways to tell is your breath. There's a distinctive, sweet, almost sweet smell to your breath. That those are ketone bodies. That's the smell of keto, ketone bodies. So you start smelling that you know you're going into ketosis. There's other symbols and 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 uh, notification that your body kind of throws at you. We'll discuss the keto diet in, in detail later. But for the understanding of this episode, just understand that the keto diet, okay, and fasting work very well hand in hand. And this is why in the keto diet, because you're having a lot more fats as part of your diet. Each unit, each gram of fat gives you a lot more energy than each gram of carbohydrates. So when you have a shorter eating window, having a higher fat ratio in your diet means you're able to hit the calorie target better without stuffing yourself. So one of the go-to strategies that I like to employ is salads with avocado, salads with olive oil, right? I get my salads in, there's some fiber because one of the things that happens when you have a shorter eating window is also people sacrifice fiber for carbohydrates. They'll have more carbs, but they completely ignore fiber, which is already a problem in regular diets, right? There's a lack of fiber in regular diets. So by including the salads and the vegetables and things like that with the fats, it helps on the fiber end, it helps on the fat end, I hit my calories, and I'm able to stay satiated and not feel like I'm dying after my fasting is done. I finish fasting for the day, I'm eating my food, I shouldn't feel like, oh my God, this is miserable, I'm dieting on top of fasting, right? So remember guys, I keep saying 
don't add difficulty and stress on difficulty and stress that's already there. Start to take some stuff out. Start minimizing because we're only built to handle a certain amount of stress before we break. So doing the keto diet while you're fasting is an amazing, elegant solution. It helps with the the restricted time of eating, right, that you have. It helps you start to get into ketosis. And the beauty of this is you don't have to go hard keto diet right off the bat. What I did this year and what I'm doing now, even now, is so we're halfway through our fasting period. We'll fast for roughly 30 days, give or take. We're at day 15 today. This is the 15th day I'm fasting now. And what I've been doing since day one, uh, because I, I was... I needed my brain's functional capacity for the first couple of weeks of fasting for exams and all this other stuff like that. So what I knew was I'm not going to do a hard keto diet right off the bat. I'm going to slowly ease into it. So I was still taking in a fair amount of carbs to help me fuel my my brain and study and whatnot. But I slowly transitioned. I slowly reduced the carbohydrates, up the fat, up the, up the vegetables and, and, and salads and, and fibers. So what that does is it helps you slowly ease into the keto diet because one of the difficult things about the keto diet is as carb adapted individuals when we go into the keto diet you're gonna get that hunger pang for carbohydrates it's like oh i want carbs i want carbs your body's just so used to it it takes a little bit of time for it to adapt but once you've adapted the benefits are awesome right keto diet is is awesome for a lot of different things they actually use it in the medical setting uh, for a lot of conditions so it is a, a great thing to do but again, long term, I wouldn't recommend it, especially because, you know, the higher fat content over a long period of time can lead to problems with cholesterol in the blood vessels, right? So building plaque in the blood vessels is not a good thing. Uh, and, and again, like with anything else, too much of something is not good. So if you're a diehard keto advocate, I'm very sorry, the medical science proves it. Long term keto diet is not good, just like long term carnivore diet is not good, just like long term veganism is not good unless you're taking care of the supplementals and making sure you're getting all the other micronutrients that you're missing out because you're not eating meat. So anything long-term obsessively, you know, this is the way is not good. Balance, my friends, balance. So if you are going to fast, I strongly recommend start getting into a keto diet in a, in a week's time, plan it out, you know, cut down your carbohydrates by 10% every day. And by the by the time you're through nine, 10 days, there you are, you're, you're pretty much at a keto diet right? It's an amazing, elegant solution, and it'll help you with your fat loss when you are able to do it correctly, okay? All right, now let's get into some of the scheduling, the bigger bigger end stuff. How often should you fast? How long should you fast, etc.? So how often should you fast? At a minimum, my recommendation for people who want to start getting into fasting is start two to three times a week, right? I mean, one of the simplest protocols that I always recommend is fast on a Monday, then fast on a Thursday, and do that for a bunch of weeks, three, four, five, six weeks. Do that for a bunch of weeks. Adapt to that. That gives you a nice, easy, soft way to do it. You fast on Monday, you have Tuesday and Wednesday to go back to normal, and then you fast on Thursday. And here's the beautiful thing about this. This also ties into a big concept of fat loss that I use with my clients all the time when they go into a higher level of clients. So when they become more familiar with the basics of nutrition and they want to dial in for a, a physique show or drop body fat even faster, and I know that they can mentally handle what I'm going to give them, we go into calorie cycling and we go into carb cycling and we go into macronutrient cycling. So we, we go into these concepts at a little bit higher level. And this is essentially what that is. This is calorie cycling. When you fast on a Monday and Thursday, chances are you're not going to work out on those days, or at least I wouldn't recommend it. And chances are you're probably going to end up taking a little bit less calories in than you would on the Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and other days. So that's a perfect natural way to get into calorie cycling. If you want to be more purposeful and make this fast more effective for you in terms of weight loss or fat loss, then yes, on the Monday and the Thursday, do super low impact activities like playing playing with your kids or playing with your dogs or, or, or cycling very lightly, walking, you know, power walking, super, super light, nothing crazy. So no hard activities. And also drop your calories, right? Instead of taking, let's say, 2,000, take 1,800, right? Because you are not going to be super active that day compared to the other days. So that's a very natural way to get into calorie cycling on top of fasting. And if you add the keto diet component to it, well, I mean, three levels of success. How can you not win, right? The, the results do take time to show up. Again, I have to say this. The results do take time to show up, but that's, that's what consistency is for. If you're consistent, the results will come, okay? Now, if you want to get even more into fasting and reap more of the benefits, you can go into doing a longer fast. So instead of doing 16 hours or 12 hours or 8 hours, you can do maybe 24 hours or 36 hours or 72 hours. People do those fasts. However, I would stay away from those until you've mastered just a basic 12 to 16 hour fast 
two times a week, maybe three times a week for at least four months of the year. If you can do it for at least four months of the year like that, and you, and you get into the rhythm and understand how you feel individually, because everybody's unique, then I say, okay, maybe look into the longer fast, because there's other significant benefits with fasting for a little bit longer period of time, okay? How long should you fast for? You've decided you're going to fast. How long should you fast for? Again, I'm just going to give you the straight and simple way. Go from sunrise to sunset. You have nothing to lose. It's daytime. You're usually busy with either work or kids or family or some kind of activity. So your mind is not always on food. Fast from sunrise to sunset. And I say that because a lot of people will say, okay, well, you know what? My fast is going to start from before I go to sleep and I'm just going to go till 12 o'clock and do that. Well, okay, that's fair. But when you sleep and then you wake up, your body's natural, inclina natural inclination is to get up, okay? And in most cases, I'm not saying this is the way, in most cases, is to fuel yourself, is to find a source of food, of, of liquid fuel, solid fuel, some kind of fuel to give yourself that boost to keep going, right? Now, if your habits are completely out of, uh, out of control and for years and years you've, you've abused your sleep cycle and all these other things, then yeah, you might not be one of those people who wakes up and needs food, and that's fine. That's okay. But eventually you're gonna want to eat. And and one of the other benefits of fasting that I, you know I touched upon a little bit is with the mental aspect of it, knowing that you can resist that thing that you can voluntarily do. So when you finish your fasting cycle and you come back into regular cycle, it's easier for you to control things that you should be controlling, like excess junk food, excess of whatever. So by fasting from say sunrise to sunset or like 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. or something along those lines during the daytime, it's helping you train consciously that ability to control things, the ability to stay away from things voluntarily and building that mental capacity and the mental skill along with getting the physical benefits of fasting. So this is why I always recommend do it during the daytime, right? Find that daytime. Sunrise and sunset is pretty good because the seasonal changes in sunrise and sunset, at least in Canada here, uh, you know, we have shorter days in winter, longer days in the summer, and it changes with the season and seasonal uh, uh, environmental uh, conditions. That's perfect, right? In the summertime, longer days, awesome. More challenging, hotter days, awesome. More challenging, great. Better benefits for me. In the winter, when I'm not going to be outside as much, days are shorter, okay, not a problem. I can really dial down on my nutrition, pre and post fasting and nutrition. So Go with the seasonal things. That's what I always say. Human beings are built to live in this environment and thrive in this environment. It's just a matter of using the environment for your benefit. Finally, let me answer this big question. Is fasting for everyone? Short answer, yes. As long as you moderate your level of intensity and the length of your fast, fasting can be a great process for everyone. There's one exception that I'll make, uh, obviously kids notwithstanding, right? I mean, <laughs> you're not going to tell your five-year-old to fast with you. If they want to try maybe an hour or two, and then they'll break and they'll want, they'll want their chocolates. So <laughs> um, I'm, I'm speaking from experience. But essentially, the one exception I'd make is pregnancy, okay? So pregnancy um, and medical conditions. So if you have a medical condition where fasting is not going to be a great thing for you, of course, that's whole, totally different. You guys, please remember, whenever I give you uh, knowledge on a topic in, the, in this show, you have to remember the, the preconception we're working with is you, you don't have a severe or serious medical condition that could be affected by making changes to your life, okay? If you have something medical going on, you need to be under medical supervision. I cannot stress this enough. You need to be under medical supervision before you attempt any of this stuff. It's the same thing when you have an injury and you're trying to recover. It's not just enough for your doctor to say, here, take some aspirin and, and that's it, you're good to go. You need to go to a physiotherapist. You need to go to a personal trainer. You need to go to a professional in the health and fitness industry who can guide you through, right? Weight loss, same thing. Don't go to you know your friend Sally or Joe and say, hey, you look great, you lost weight, what did you do? No, go see a professional, get that help, get that guidance specific to you, okay? So the one exception is pregnant women. If you're pregnant, you need to be ultra careful here and I would not recommend fasting to you because when you're pregnant, the name of the game is resource acquisition. You wanna get as much into you as possible, as many resources into you and around you as possible, because you're not only now looking after your own body, you're looking after the fetus. And the fetus needs as much of a nutritional safety cushion as possible for the best growth, development, and sustenance. And when you fast, you're, you're, you're towing a dangerous line, okay? Because if you're fasting and you're not feeling any quote-unquote negative impacts, the fetus might be. 
or you both might be, and you're just not aware of it. So I, I strongly, strongly advise anybody who's pregnant thinking of fasting, don't do it. When you're pregnant, it's it's the natural law of things for you to take in resources, to, for you to find things around you to, to give you the best chance of success at successfully uh, bringing a life into this world, at successfully completing this uh, reproductive process. And you don't want to mess with that by doing, doing something like fasting. All right, guys, I know this was probably one of the longer episodes I've done, but as you can tell, I'm starting to lose my voice. Um, as you can tell, the process of fasting is such a fast process. There's so much that goes into it, and there's so much that you can benefit from it. I highly encourage everybody, please try it out. It's one of the greatest things you'll do, not just for your physique and health, but for your mental game, for your mental clarity, for the sharpness, for your ability to to gain control of your life again and understand that you are always in control you always have the ability and the power to control and change your situation if you just put the work in you've just got to do the work and go through adversity we've gotten so soft as a society we give a, we give out participation medals now for things that it doesn't make any sense like if my kid comes home to me with a participation medal i can guarantee you i'm going to be talking to her and and helping her understand hey a participation medal or a trophy doesn't mean a thing. You don't need a medal or a trophy to tell you that you did something. You did something. That's the, the reward on its own. The only medal or trophy you should be bringing home is when you take top position in that thing. And, and I'm not saying that as, a, oh, you have to be top or you don't matter. Not at all. Actually, the opposite. You matter without someone telling you, hey, great job, great job there, Sally and Joe. You participated. Here's a little sticker for you. Well, Boo-hoo, awesome. Why are you rewarding me and teaching me that I deserve to be rewarded for just being there instead of being excellent and putting the work in, right? That's the same as saying, oh, hey, guys, um, I didn't get great marks, but I want to be an engineer. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to just walk into your class and, and become an engineer. No, it doesn't work like that. You got to qualify to be an engineer. You have to make it to that program. You got to make it to the medical program. You got to make it to the dental program. You, you can't just walk in and say, yep, I deserve because, you know, participation, yay. Right? So it's the same thing with life. If you guys want to get something out of something, do the work. And fasting will help you learn, hey, I've got to fast. I've got to go through that adversity. I've got to make the efforts to come out a winner at the end of it, to come out with the victory, to, to come out with the benefits. So fasting is one of those things. I cannot overemphasize how awesome and amazing it is for you. Give it a try. I hope this helped all of you take amazing points away and some actionable items that you can use right away. If you guys want to fast and have more questions about it, feel free to let me know. You can always find me on Facebook as MTS Kabir. You can also reach out to me by my email at ikabir.fitness at gmail.com. That's I-K-A-B-I-R dot fitness at gmail.com. And until the next time, guys, take care of yourself, stay strong, be kind to one another, and I'll see you then.